Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. Morning, everybody. Great to see you today. We're going to be looking at that story today. And uh, so start turning over to Luke chapter 5, would you? Start turning there. And uh, if you're with us, maybe for the first time today, whether online or live, we're just so glad you're here. Uh, around here, if you come once, you're a guest, you come twice, you're family, and uh, grab one of those Bibles, take it home with you if you'd like, uh, as our gift to you. And uh, we're going to look at some things that are really uh, at the core, they're going to probably touch every single one of us in a very deep way, uh, I anticipate that today, uh, because I know what this lesson did for me, and uh, I had a long time to think about it, you know, I've been pondering this for days, and, and had hours this morning to just really let this resonate about what this actually means for you and me. Because this is really significant what we're going to talk about today. See, deep within all of us are two great desires. I would call them needs. And I don't mean the physical. I mean, we all want to make sure that we're safe and we got our physical needs met and so forth. But when you go deeper, you're going to find that you have a need to be loved and accepted. And it began very early on in your life. I mean, let's go back to middle school. For some of you, that goes back a few more years. But when you were in middle school, think about how you dressed. Why? To be accepted. Think about how you acted. Think about what you wore. Think about what you did in order to be accepted by a group of people. And then you got to high school, and then it, it expanded from there. You began to do things that you probably couldn't imagine yourself doing in order to be accepted. Some of you morally sold out in order to be accepted by someone else, or you compromised your values, your morals. You did all kinds of things in high school. Why? For one simple thing, because you have this inherent need to be accepted by others, and we will go to great lengths to be accepted by others. And then when we start dating, that you might even do things when you're dating that you never imagined you might do. And why are you doing what you're doing to please someone else? And then, and then maybe you get married, and, you ha- and, and in that marriage, what you want more than anything is to be loved and accepted just for who you are. That's what you want. It's why divorce is so hard Because ultimately a divorce is a rejection and it's a very deep rejection. It's like, I don't like who you are or you saying someone else, I don't like who you are and you part ways. And when there's a death of somebody that you love dearly, it can almost feel like a rejection from God. Like, why did you reject me? Why did you punish me? Why did you do this? Why? Because deep down this need is so tremendous that we just want to be accepted. And then as we continue to get older, Our sins that we've done accumulate, don't they? I mean, like, I could probably just ask you, look back over your life and tell me a sin that you're not proud of, that you wish you could have changed, that you wish you would have done differently. And I bet you, you'd probably go, huh, which 10 are you talking about? Or or 100? Because I could name a lot. And the older you are, the more you can add, the more that you get to choose. This is why when this woman was caught in adultery and they were about to stone her, this is what Jesus said. Whoever's without sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. And 
the older ones left first. Why? Because over a lifetime they've accumulated so much more sin. And here's, here's where I'm headed with this. You ever wonder, will God accept you? Is there ever maybe a fear in you like, what if, what if God doesn't accept me for my sin? He says he forgives me. Does he really? Am I absolutely sure of that? Well, maybe I should just try to be good so that maybe, maybe I can get to heaven by being good and believing what Christ did for me. And sometimes we have fear. We fear because, did I do enough? The answer is no. Was it good enough? The answer is no. And that puts us all in a very bad spot. If we can't earn it and we're not good enough, then we have to rely on what Jesus did on the cross. And we sometimes, if you're like me, you just go, but God, could you really forgive this in my life? Could you? Did you? And if you forgave me, why do I struggle to forgive myself? And why, why do I fear that others don't want to forgive me either? And we live with that. And I can tell you as a pastor what it's like. I mean, this acceptance, wanting to be accepted, or fear, or rejection. You know, anytime someone leaves the church, you want, you know, you know what it's like for a pastor? Just take a knife and make a cut. It hurts. Like, wow, why did they leave? What did I do? What did I say? What did I not do? What should I have done better? What could I have done differently? I didn't mean to fatten you. Didn't mean to hurt you. What did I? And, and you leave, and there's a cut. And then there's another cut, and another cut. And you know what happens? You start to show up, and you're like, man, there's a lot of cuts all over. It's hard, but you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Because all of us have this deep need to be accepted and loved. We want to be loved by our parents. And we go to great lengths to get the acceptance and to please our parents. We go to great lengths to have our spouses love us and accept us for who we are. It's why when you're dating, you always have your best foot forward. You don't want them to see everything because if you do, they might not like you. Right? And then you get married, and then you can't help it. They see everything. And then you're petrified. Well, they still like me. That's why marriage, that's why God made marriage, so that two people can love and accept another person, flaws and all, for who they are. That's why that's so important. And then if you have kids, what do you want from your kids? You want to be loved by your kids. You didn't, you didn't have kids to be hated by your kids. And then they become teenagers, and they all hate you. <laughs> right? And then you're like, why do we do this? So our whole lives, folks, we struggle with this. We want to be loved and accepted. And you know what church ought to be? the place that people feel the most loved anywhere on planet Earth. And oftentimes churches can feel like they're judging. I gotta dress a certain way, I gotta act a certain way, I gotta be a certain way. 
I got to pretend to be a certain way. So I got to put a front on. And then you go to church and you're like, why am I putting a front on? I thought I could be loved in church like nowhere else. And you know what? And I'm going to encourage you. Love deeply from the heart every person who walks through these doors because we're all messed up. And church should be the place that you can say, how messed up are you? Oh, I'm really messed up. Yeah, me too. Okay, we can love each other because we're both messed up. That's what church ought to be. Not a good place or not a place for good people because we're honest with each other. We're messed up. So what we're going to look at in Luke 5, this is just, I'm setting the stage for some of the most profound things in all the Bible that you're going to see today. So it's the whole chapter. So I'm going to encourage you to read the whole chapter. But let me tell the first story. So, so Jesus is teaching in a boat. This is Luke 5, and you can kind of skim along here. He's teaching, and he finds Peter, and he gets in Peter's boat, goes out, and he teaches everybody. And then he says to Peter, uh, let's go out and put your nets down for a catch. And he's like, why? You know, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything, but you said so. We'll do it. They do it. They catch a ginormous amount of fish, enough that they're sinking two boats. Here's what I want you to see. When Simon, when Peter realizes who he's in the presence of, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. When Peter was in the presence, he didn't even know who this person was yet. But he knew there was something amazing about this man. And when he was in his presence and something miraculous just happened... What, it, what did it do? It reminded him of how bad and how sinful he is. And he said, get away, leave. Leave. I don't want to be rejected by you. I'm going to reject you. So Lord, leave. And he found grace and he found love from Jesus, which must have astounded him. And I'm sure he's thinking, if, if this man knew me, he'd have never done this and he would have hightailed it away from me. See, that's us. Okay, so let's keep going. I'm going to jump to verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Here's another example. But here's, here's a disease that everybody rejected you. Imagine, imagine having leprosy. It's a skin disease. It's very contagious. And I know we talked about leprosy in the past. Everybody hightailed it away from you. Worse than COVID, because this was a death sentence. This was absolutely a death sentence. Because your skin would slowly rot. Your limbs would sometimes fall off because everything was rotted. I mean, leprosy was so bad that you were isolated, you had to live outside the, the bounds of society, you could never come in contact with anybody. You were, when you got leprosy, boy, you were, for life, you were now isolated and rejected by everyone. And this person comes to Jesus, wondering if this holy man, whoever this man is, could he make me clean? Or is he going to reject me? Do you know, do you know how, much, how much energy it must have taken him to say, what if I get to Jesus and he says, I'm not willing? 
then you're hopeless. Completely hopeless. And he comes to Jesus and he asks, he doesn't say, please heal me. If you're willing. But what is he thinking? But I'm going to bet you might not be. Because I'm expecting you to reject me. And I'm almost thinking if I was that man and you came to Jesus, that Jesus would do this. Take a step away. Because why couldn't Jesus get this? He didn't know. He doesn't know who he is. And what Jesus did is unbelievable. Verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. This man has not been touched since he was diagnosed. Nobody has had any contact. And more men, if you know the love languages, more men have the the love language of touch. And imagine if you have the love language of touch and nobody has touched you maybe for years, if not decades. And Jesus doesn't reject him. Jesus steps into his life and touches him. And it must have just like overwhelmed this man. I'm not only accepted but I'm touched. I mean, can you even begin to comprehend if you, nobody would touch you and everybody shunned you, let's just say for 10 years, and then this man touches you. And he says, I am willing. See, it was more than just are you willing to make me clean? Um, do you accept me? I do. But Jesus, everybody else rejects me. But God doesn't. He steps into this man's life and touches him. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Incredible. Now this is the weirdness of my mind. How would you like to be the next person that Jesus healed? And he comes up to touch you. Ah, don't touch me. Don't t- just say the word, Jesus. Just say the word. That leprosy might still be on you. Don't touch me. Here's some hand sanitizer. Clean up your hands first, then touch me. You know, I would have been petrified. Like, you go first. You let him heal you. Let him touch you and get all the germs off his hands before he touches me. Okay, so we're not done. We have another amazing story. So jump down a couple of verses to verse 17. One day what Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Here's another one of those examples of this man. We don't know who he is. He's unnamed. He's got four amazing friends who not only pick him up and carry him, so he was not rejected by at least his four friends. 
Sometimes when people have disabilities, sometimes they feel like they're being like isolated and ostracized and they can feel that way. They've told me that. And so there's four friends, bring them to Jesus. Can't get to Jesus. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? You, you just want to go see the man Jesus. You want to see him, but you can't. And everybody else is shunning you. Everybody else is saying, no, 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 me first, me first. No, 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 I want to touch Jesus. I want to get to Jesus. You wait your turn. They can't get to him. I mean, can you imagine the feelings of rejection of people who want to be by Jesus and want to be healed by him, but they can't get to him? So these friends, you know, climb up on the roof. I mean, that is no small feat. Imagine hoisting up a person who's lying on a mat up onto a roof. I mean, that would, that would take a lot. And then imagine taking all the tiles off the roof, and you're the homeowner. Uh, guys, what are you doing? Uh, that's my roof. I mean, it must have taken a while. So I would imagine somewhere along the way when Jesus was teaching, he would just say, okay, let's quit teaching and just look. Because you know what? I know what happens when a bird's flying around this church. You're all looking at the bird. Imagine if somebody was taking the tiles off and coming through the roof. I mean, I might as well just sit down and, and we're done. So, but I don't know what Jesus did. So when they lower him in front of Jesus, Jesus saw their faith, and he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I was curious. When did Jesus call somebody a friend? There's only one other occasion that we have recorded. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, and he was with his disciples, he said, you are my friends if you do what I tell you. This is the only other occasion in the whole Bible that Jesus called somebody friend. Imagine, imagine you're lying on the mat. Now, now oftentimes, this was, this was really thought, if you had a disability that God was angry with you, that your parents did something wrong, your grandparents did somebody wrong, your uncle did, somebody did something wrong and your disability is because somebody did something wrong. So you're being punished and your lifetime is a punishment and a rejection of God that was often sought. So think about somebody who's already maybe feeling this way, like, like what did I do wrong? Somebody did something wrong. Maybe it was, maybe it was my own sins. Maybe it was my parents and somebody did something wrong. And you're standing before, you're lying before Jesus, and he calls you friend. Huh. And you go down in history as the only person Jesus ever called directly friend. Your sins are forgiven. And you and I can look and go, okay, big deal. Uh, wait. There's only one other occasion in the whole Bible that Jesus ever said to a person, your sins are forgiven, and it's in Luke chapter 7, you can read it yourself. It was a woman who came to Jesus, broken, crying, wetting Jesus with her tears, wiping his feet with her hair, and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. It's only two occasions in all the Bible. This man will go down in history as one of two people that Jesus ever said, your sins are forgiven, and the only person that Jesus said directly, friend. If God never healed him, his physical body, 
Don't we all long to hear God say to us, friend, friend, your sins are forgiven. So I sometimes, deep down, we're wondering, like, God, I doubt, you know, do you really love me? You know, we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful service, but I wonder how many of us deep down think, God will never say that to me. He would never say that. God might say, how'd you get here? That might be what we anticipate. And maybe deep down you're wondering if God will even accept you because of your past. And he says your sins are forgiven. And then, and then you, you can see the Pharisees and teachers of the law begin thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who seeks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know, isn't that cool? I want you to know. When God says, I want you to know, listen up. He wants you to know something. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Incredible. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. If you're like me, you want to know that Jesus would do that for you. We know that God loves the world, but we still wonder, does God really love me? And I don't know how to show you or tell you except the cross behind me assures us of God's love for us. Now, Jesus did something incredible. He took the intangible, you're forgiven, and he attached it with the tangible, get up and walk. So that if I can say, get up and walk, I can forgive sins. If I can say, you're forgiven, then I can also heal you. And God knows us, and and you're about to take communion. And I want to assure you it is the exact same thing as this story that you're going to get to benefit from, you're going to get to participate in. That God says the tangible is bread, and the tangible is wine, or the tangible is bread and grape juice. That's the tangible. The intangible is take, drink. This is my blood, which is shed for you, for the, how's it go? forgiveness of whose sins? Your sins. God does the same thing. He's going to do the same thing for us in just a few moments that you're going to take the bread and go, I don't understand, God, how you're part of this. It's the tangible with the intangible of the body. I don't understand it when he said, take it, this is, is my body. I don't understand it. My brain can't understand that intangible part. I take the the cup of wine. I can't understand how this is, is the blood of Christ. I don't understand it. I don't have to understand it. Because by faith, God says when you take this bread, you take this wine, which is the body, which is the blood of Christ, the intangible part of this is, you're going to walk out of here with forgiveness. That's why we take communion. 
I thought it was the oddest thing that Messiah, we take communion every Sunday. I've never seen a church take communion every Sunday. But I can't tell you how much I appreciate it because I don't know you, but a week is a really long time and a lot of sins can accumulate in a week and I'm so grateful to come back and say to God, forgive me. And God says, tangibly, you're forgiven. Intangibly, you are absolutely forgiven. And if God forgives us, God accepts us because the sin is wiped clean and all that's left is Jesus in us and the Father looks at us and sees Jesus in us. And don't miss that, that when you take communion and God assures you tangibly, you are forgiven. And then God sees Jesus and says, I love you. I accept you. I accept you into heaven. I forgive you all your sins. And then we go out of here. Hopefully lighter than we've ever been, knowing that, like this man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Pretty incredible. In a few minutes, come up. Receive the tangible and know that you're receiving the intangible that we can't do a forgiveness. Let's pray. God, I love these stories about how you stepped into a leper's life and touched him. God, that says to me that there's nothing that I could ever do that you would reject me enough that you wouldn't want to come in and be a part of my life too. Thank you for that. And Jesus, thank you that you called this person who couldn't walk friend. He's a friend of God's. He'll always know that he was called a friend of God's. We'll get to meet him someday, God. And it'll be so fun to meet him someday and just say, you're the friend of God. How amazing is that? And Jesus, thank you that we can be assured that our sins really are forgiven and that you love us and accept us. And we just want to say thank you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your everyday. Please share with friends and family, and we can't wait to have you next time on the Messiah Podcast.